You're listening to a 95 BFM podcast. No guards, no masters, only helpful advice. It's Red Dead Redemption with Auckland Union representative Justine Sachs. Kia ora Justine, how are you this morning? Morena Rajma, good and you? Good, nice to chat with you. Good to have you back to answer some uh, listeners. Questions and we did have one at the end of the at the end of the segment last week or last time you were on, uh, which you just wanted to cover off again. Can you remind us what the listeners wanted to know about? Yeah, so that was like a non-compete contra- um, clause in a contract. So basically, restraining people from um, working for competitors in certain kind of industries or environments. And so that's a clause that basically yes is. For a period of time, you can't work for our direct competitors. Um, and I wasn't sure about how it worked in New Zealand because they're very common in um, the US, but not so common over here. Right. And there are actually quite a bit of um, limitations on that. I just, I just quickly wanted to go over that. Yeah, that, yes, please. Person, yeah, so basically you have to have like a really legitimate reason to have a restraint of, of trade. Like it has to be related to intellectual property, trade connections, secret processes. It all sounds all very James Bond. <laughs> Confidential information, um, you know, strong influence over certain clients. And it also has to be time bound. So it can't be forever. Right. You can't like not be able to work, you know, for competitors forever. So it's usually no longer than 12 months. Um, but um, all of it has to pass as, like a standard of reasonability. So if you're in an industry where, you know, you don't really think that there's any reason why you working for a competitor would pose a threat or, um, you know, give anyone a, a, an unreasonable or unfair advantage, um, I think, I think you know, it wouldn't be reasonable. So, yeah, anyone who has something like that, I definitely recommend... I'm um, getting legal advice on that because um, I, f- I find those pretty shady. Right. To be honest. Okay, so it's yeah. a grayer. It's perhaps a grayer area than it might seem if you have that in yeah. your contract. Yeah, absolutely, and it has to be reasonable. So if you're like working, for instance, in um, retail, I don't like, and you're you know on the floor um, selling. I, there's no reason you should have a restraint of trade. Like, say you work at Glassons, you can't work at um, you know I don't know cost. <laughs> Like, that's yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah, totally. For, for people who do things like uh, trades particularly, I think this tends to be something that comes yeah. up. And I, I have it in my mind that the person who texted that in might have been working in, uh, in perhaps construction, but I might have just made that up. Sorry if that listener is <laughs> listening and they're like, um, excuse me, no. But I, I do know that this is also something that comes up quite often for people who work in hairdressers and hair salons and stuff mm. as well. Is that something that you think seems like sort of fairly industry standard that you might expect to have in your contract or is that something that maybe you should be checking out? No, I don't think that's industry standard. Like, I think you really have to have, um, like, say, for instance, um, Tesla, right, with their self-driving technology. Like, yeah. that is something really specific to Tesla that potentially if you were developing that technology, you may have a restraint of trade clause in your contract because if you go to Ford and share that... Um, like that's their proprietary, you know, blah, 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 proprietary IP and all that shit. Yeah. Um, I really think it has to meet quite a high standard. Um, and maybe over former clients, I could see if you're, if you're a hairdresser and you started a new salon and you took all your clients over, that Mm. might be something, but, um, I really think it has to meet quite a high standard. So I don't, yeah, I, I would be leery of saying it's all good. I, I think that should be looked over. Any contract with that, it needs to be looked over by um, 
someone who can give you some professional industrial advice. If it's your union rep or CAB while it's funded, um, or even a lawyer. <laughs> you know, most of us can't really afford to go um, chat to a lawyer about these things, but definitely worth having um, a look at it and seeing that it just you know, isn't. Yeah. Yeah, you got to get it. Got to got to fight for your rights, you know? Got to make Absolutely. sure you're not you're not getting fleeced. Uh we have got a few questions that have come through this morning and over the last week. So someone said, "Hey Justine, am I within my rights to ask my boss to contribute to my personal phone bill if they can't offer me a phone for work?" Um you're more than your rights. You're entitled to. You shouldn't be incurring your own costs um in the course of making them money. That's just like not right and um, illegal so absolutely you're entitled to in fact it's a tax deductible for the business so um, I have no idea why they wouldn't have a process that shady to me um, you should you know like essentially you're you're, in, you're you're taking money out of your own wages you're you know you're, you're, you're doing work for the benefit of the business using your own um, technology and um, paying for it yourself so absolutely you need to be reimbursed for that Okay, that's good to know. What else have we got here, Stella? So another listener has asked, how should I negotiate a pay rise in accordance with the recent minimum wage increase? That's a, good, that's a really good question. So um, a couple of things for pay increases is that you should always be asking for a pay increase in line with um, inflation. So that's first and foremost, mm-hmm. um, because if your pay is not keeping up with inflation, you're going backwards, so you're effectively earning less than you were. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of minimum wage, it's all about relativities, yeah? So if minimum wage goes up, say, um, you know, 10%, um, you want to maintain those relativities. Um, so I would be saying, like, we, you know, we want like, we, we want to go up as much as it has. And, and, and usually you do, because it's important that they have, you know, an employer paying more than minimum wage wants to have that competitive edge. That's why they're offering that amount. Mm. Um, so if they, if they have to, you know, get, um, if they have to um, hire people, they will offer, uh, you know, relative to the minimum wage increase. And I guess you just need to remember that. So yeah. when minimum wage increases, you should be asking for that. They're going to offer new hires that, so you need to be asking for that. But um, mostly making the argument around relativity, and but yet also inflation. Minimum wage usually goes up in line with inflation. So if you don't want to mention the minimum wage and want to stick to inflation, um, the cost of living adjustment, do that. Fantastic. That's good advice. We've got uh, another one here from someone who says, um, Hey, Justine, my job seems to involve lots of outside work activities like dinners and outings. I'm feeling new, so I don't want to seem unenthusiastic, but this is really not my buzz. I also don't have set hours, so I would love some advice at politely setting that boundary. Um, you know, honestly, I, I think you just need to um, be confident in yourself because I... I know my girlfriend um, used to have this issue at her old job, and I, I think what was great about her is she was just like, you know what, it's really just not my buzz. Love you guys, love being at work with you, we chat. <laughs> but outside of that, that's just when I'm going to be doing my own thing. And yeah. people really respected that. So don't like, don't um, you know, assume that people are going to take it badly. Yeah. Because you know, most of the time people are like, oh yeah, it's cool. That's you know, that's the way that person is. That's chill. Um, I think like, yeah, I think like, you know, you can say you're busy, you can say um, you're, you know, you need that time to decompress and be, you know, refreshed and ready to work the next day. Um, I would just say it's not your buzz, honestly. I think some people really respect honesty, but in terms of not having set hours, um, just, you know, dinners and outings aren't work. So I think like you're well within your rights to be like, 
not part of my work, you know, that's not part of my hours. Mm. So just I think not confusing that those two is really important. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, if you don't want to, if you feel a bit awkward and you don't want to say it's not my buzz, I think um, if you just come up with a couple of good excuses for a few times, I'll get the message. I've got to walk my dog. I've got to wash my hair. I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's the last of us tonight. Yeah, I can't miss it. it. All my flatmates are going to be yeah. so mad. Yeah. I, I, I have to make flat dinner. I'm the cook. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> all very good excuses, which, you know, I'm sure we've all pulled at some point. I do have one, like, question about this question. It sounds like this texter is, is talking about social activity connected to their workplace but what if your work is has kind of got social activities that sort of fall into that gray area like meetings or client you know catch-ups that sort of thing and they fall into those dinners and and after work hours and if what would you sort of suggest someone uh has that conversation with their employer about um you know making sure that they're not doing more than they they should be doing it's about having a conversation about, um, you know, your boundaries basically and like making sure that you firmly say like when you're not available, um, if, if that's the case, because you are entitled to not be available for work, um, you know, like you have a personal life and you're entitled to that. So I think it's just being really clear about when you're prepared to do that kind of stuff um, and you really should do that outright. I think it's really important to just have that conversation at the beginning rather than sort of struggle with, you know, like struggle with kind of navigating each and every individual kind of incident, Mm -hmm. I guess, is what I would say. Um, Some jobs do require that. I mean, you should, hopefully you know that going in because, I mean, don't take a job where you you do have to do that stuff and, you you know, you you can't or won't. Um, But I would say, like, just make sure you log your hours and you're keeping a track of how much, how many hours you're working. Um, and don't do things over and above because you're not getting paid for that. And um, apparently we call that quiet quitting. I just feel like <laughs> job according to the hours that's <laughs> stipulated yeah. in your contract. But anyways, whatever. Um, yeah, don't don't do more hours than you have to. But And if you are doing nights, and I mean, you know, people do do nights and early mornings occasionally or whatever it is. Just keeping a log of when you're doing work is, I think, really important. And taking that as toil, so, you know, time in lieu or whatever it is. Um, ask your employer how they um, how they uh, capture that. I think that's a really good question. Yeah. Hey, how do you capture time in lieu? Because if they don't have a, a, a way of capturing it, you can you can know that people are doing it and not getting you know reimbursed properly. Mm, absolutely. Well, good to know. Thank you very much for that, Justine. Uh, always wise advice. We will talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Take care. Cheers. Bye. Kakite. Yeah. Take that, the man. Red Dead Redemption with Auckland Union representative Justine Sachs. That was a 95BFM podcast. Support 95BFM with a B-card. Go to 95BFM.com slash sign up.